This episode of Hitting Play is brought to you by Monstrous Jam 2016. Hold on tight, boys and girls. It's Monstrous Jam 2016. Come and see all the baddest big honking mean machines tear up the track. We have all your favorites. Chunk Chainsaw, Skidmark Larry, Blast Hard Cheese, Wendigo Sean, Bone Eater, and Steve. Get your tickets now. You'll pay for the seat, but you'll only use the edge. Hello and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me is someone crudely animated, Lily. That's me. <laughs> ah, I'm kidding. Well, this week we are taking a look back at the beginnings of one of television's longest-running and most beloved shows, The Simpsons. Yes, I <laughs> happen to know that you are an enormous Simpsons fan. Yes. Far more so than I am. Not that I dislike the show. I actually do appreciate the humor, and I love Futurama. I just never had the chance to watch the episodes, because they're not as accessible. They're, like, not on Netflix, and I don't have cable, so I can't just, like, log into Fox with a provider username and password to watch everything. Yeah, I mean, that, that FXX app... It has the Simpsons world as part of it. That is amazing. If you are a cable uh, subscriber, you just punch in your information. You you have access to almost every episode. I, I think uh, the the newest ones, season twenty seven. I don't think they're up yet, but everything else is, and it's it's amazing. Yeah. See, that's that's probably the worst thing about not having cable. That's the only thing I'm missing out on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it, part of it is an age thing. You know, I know a lot of uh, younger people aren't so much big Simpsons fans. I know Family Guy is pretty big. Uh, See, I am not a Family Guy fan. Yeah. It's... I I don't know if maybe this is the place to rant about family, <laughs> my, my thoughts and opinions about Family Guy, but I don't think that the humor in Family Guy is as intelligent as... The humor in the other cartoons that we've talked about on this show. Yeah, agreed. But this goes way back. This is, this is uh, well, let's say 10 years before Lily, at least. <laughs> on uh, April 19th, 1987, viewers of the third episode of the sketch comedy show, The Tracy Ullman Show, were treated to an animated short entitled Good Night. Uh, it featured a strange-looking family with bright yellow skin and grotesque features. <laughs> grotesque is correct. <laughs> uh, I don't know who made the character design decision to have their hair, at least for the children, like not separate from the rest of their body. That's always <laughs> bothered me about The Simpsons. It's yeah. like part of their skull is the shape of their hair. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's weird. It definitely is. And they've poked fun at themselves over the years about that kind of stuff. But yeah, it, it is odd that, you know, someone like Milhouse does have blue hair, blue eyebrows. But Bart, uh, I think they refer to him as blonde. But really, you don't see any border between the hairline and the scalp. 
Yeah, kind of weird. I mean, I'm not discriminating. I think <laughs> they're great. Yeah, no, but it, it's certainly weird. And the character designs on these older shorts are even weirder. Yeah, they're worse. <laughs> <laughs> now, after this short Goodnight aired, two weeks later, episode five of the Tracy Ullman show, there was another one that aired. And soon, the popularity of these shorts would grow so quickly that The Simpsons would eclipse the Tracy Ullman show, the entire Fox network, and it would just make these characters such iconic figures in pop culture and really in the history of the medium of television. It's like, who knew? Yeah, that's crazy. I believe, at least on the Tracy Ullman show, there were 48 different shorts Mm -hmm. throughout the series of the show. Did you ever watch these? Yes. Yes, I did. I was... uh... Maybe, well, the the first one came out when I was three. But I do remember as a very young child, you know, before I went to school, uh, I remember seeing these and liking them. There really wasn't much to process for a toddler. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of bright colors and a lot of, you know, moving around and stuff. But I, I always thought they were funny. And so by the time I was in kindergarten and The Simpsons had their own TV show, I was hooked from there and been watching them ever since. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that really speaks for The Simpsons as a TV show that even at a young age where definitely I'm sure you weren't getting all the jokes that were being made, but no. you still enjoyed the show all the same. Mm-hmm. And that that's what makes the uh, DVD sets great because you can go back and you can watch, uh, it, you know, some of the episodes have jokes, like you said, they, they'd go over your head. As a kid, and even like now, sometimes you'll go back and go, oh, okay, yeah, I I get what they were, what joke they were making here uh, as you get older. And what's also nice is syndication has cut so much out of these episodes, you know, because commercials are longer now, so they have to cut more and more scenes, and those are all restored on those DVDs. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's always great to see. I've gone back, and I think FXX... Uh, has shown more of those scenes, too, where I've gone back and watched episodes, and I'm like, oh, I don't remember this scene at all. And sure enough, it's because they have to be cut down to, you know, 21 minutes or whatever now. Man. (laughs) Yeah. Advertisements ruining a good show. What's new? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So let's start at the beginning. The Tracy Ullman Show, it made its debut on the very young Fox Network on April 5th, 1987. It was Fox's second primetime series that they ever had. Uh, Do you know what the first one is, Lily? I don't know what the first one is. Maybe you've heard of it, Married with Children? Oh, yes. Yeah, I have. Another really long-running show. Uh, So in these early years, Fox was really striving to be something different in the TV landscape. They were creating shows that were maybe a little unique or too edgy for regular networks. And you could tell if you've seen Married with Children. That's something you would not see, uh, you know, during uh, primetime family viewing hours. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Now, at the time, James L. Brooks was a successful film producer who had moved on from television. He was really successful in both. He was he racked up Emmys for The Mary Tyler Moore Show and for Taxi. And then he went into film and he won an Oscar for Terms of Endearment and really never intended to make the move backwards into TV. But he started to receive videotapes from Tracy Ullman's agent. And it was showing off her skills as a comedian, as an actress, as a singer. Uh, she was very talented, you know, still is. But back then, she did have some top 40 hits in Britain. 
you know, uh, an accomplished actress, and she did all kinds of characters and accents, and she wanted to move to the United States for a career. But at that time, her complaint was that every TV show had an ending in which the audience had to learn the moral of the story. <laughs> you know, it was always like, I always think of like Full House or one of those shows where the music gets like soft at the end, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, you know, the kids like tell their dad like what they learned and why they'll never, you know, break the lamp again or that kind of thing. And she just wanted no part of any show like that. And James L. Brooks was actually impressed. Yeah, I mean, that's a unique complaint to have about, at the time, modern television. Mm -hmm. That it all seemed so cookie cutter. And while I can't speak to the era, uh, because I was not consuming the media of that time, that's that's awesome. Like, that's a, that's a breakout idea. Yeah. And Fox was the, the perfect network for something like that. You know, they, they felt the same way, pretty much. Yeah, who wants to learn something from watching television? No one. <laughs> exactly. So, James L. Brooks, very impressed by her pitch, and so impressed that he decided to make his return to television. And so he produced the Tracy Ullman show under his Gracie Films label. Now, Gracie Films, does that sound familiar to you, Lily? It doesn't. <laughs> I can't say that it does. You ever hear at the end of the Simpsons episodes where there'd be people talking in a theater and someone going, shh. Oh, so I'm going to assume that he also produced The Simpsons. Yes. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where uh, that's where that comes from, from James L. Brooks's involvement in the show. And so yeah. the Tracy Ullman show ended up being a showcase for her plethora of characters. I, I, one count that I read had it at 108 over the course of the show. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, and she went on to do another show called Tracy Takes On, a uh, similar thing where, where she plays in these sketches as various characters, all kinds of people, you know, men, women, all kinds of accents. She does them all. So on this show, there would be various sketches. She would have elaborate makeup. You know, she'd be right in, in character, along with a supporting cast. Now, more on the supporting cast in a moment. And uh, the bumpers for this show, you know, which surrounded the commercial breaks, were going to be animated shorts. That's a glorious idea. Everyone loves cartoons. It ended up being a very, very smart idea. <laughs> so when they decided to feature animation on the show, James L. Brooks happened to approach an artist named Matt Groening uh, with an idea to make animated versions of his popular Life in Hell comic strips. And so... Interesting. Yeah, and so Matt Groening was very reluctant to do this. He was interested in, you know, making... Uh, an animated version of his ideas, but he didn't want to give up the ideas of the comic strips because mainly if he agreed to do this, he'd essentially be giving up all the publication rights to what was his life's work. So instead he came up with the idea of creating a whole new cast of characters. And they were basically a family uh, somewhat based on his own minus himself. So <laughs> the father was named Homer, the mother Marjorie, sisters Lisa and Maggie, and instead of his brother Mark, he put in a boy named Bart. Which, uh, I did look this, uh, fact up, because it's an anagram of Brett. Yeah. Pretty funny. It is funny. <laughs> and I've heard that the surname Simpson was because they were a family of simpletons. Really? Although that might be apocryphal, but yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty funny. No offense to anybody with the surname Simpson. Yeah, no, we're not insinuating <laughs> anything. 
Now, for the voices of Homer and Marge, they used two of the cast members of The Tracy Ullman Show, Dan Castellaneta and Julie Kavner. And who knew that almost 30 years later, they'd still be voicing these characters. It's pretty amazing. What a break. That's awesome. (laughs) And so uh, the Simpsons animated shorts were born. So now, of course, we know that the Simpsons uh, were featured here as these animated bumpers, bringing the viewers in and out of commercials on the Tracy Ullman show. But what many people forget is that they were not alone. For the first season, at least, the Simpsons took turns with another series of animated shorts called, and I'm going to really try to pronounce this correctly, Dr. N. Godatu. <laughs> spelt N exclamation point G-O-D-A-T-U. There's a, uh, a clicking syllable in there, represented by an exclamation point that's commonly found in African languages. It's hard for me to pronounce it correctly, but uh, yeah, it's, it's strange why it was named that. But uh, these featured a female doctor in a white lab coat and the goings-on around her office. Again, I don't know why this doctor was named that. I don't know if the, the joke was that she had a, a name that was very difficult to pronounce, but yeah. It sounds like boring comic strip in the newspaper, like a boring funny. Yeah, it, it, I, I didn't care for them as much as The Simpsons, I'll say that. Uh, they were animated pretty neatly. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, this character, she was created by the cartoonist M.K. Brown. She did, you know, comic strips and paintings and stuff and, and was voiced by Julie Payne. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, did you ever watch Garfield and Friends, Lily? Oh, um, I did watch a manifestation of Garfield and Friends. I don't think I ever watched the cartoon version. I watched it when it was like a 3D animation. Oh yeah, I'm talking about way before this. No, they, but uh, I read all the comics. Does that count? <laughs> well, not for what I'm saying, because she played Lanolin, the sheep, on Garfield and Friends. There, were, there was a... When you watch the cartoon, it would do three different stories. So it would be Garfield at the beginning. The middle segment would be U.S. Acres, which took place on a farm separate from Garfield. And then the third segment would be Garfield again. So in this middle part, U.S. Acres, there was Orson the pig, uh, Sheldon, a little uh, chicken like a chick that's unhatched, so his feet stick out. And, uh, yeah, so she was Lanolin the Sheep, the voice of Lanolin the Sheep in the house. I love Garfield. <laughs> and Julie Payne was also uh, Larry David's mother-in-law in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Huh. But, uh, so the animation for both The Simpsons and Dr. Mm Godatu were done by Klasky Chupo, which might sound familiar. They, they've done a ton of animation, most notably Rugrats. Oh, okay. So if you've ever watched Rugrats and at the end they would have that Klasky Chupo production yeah. card. So yeah, that's where you might have heard of them. But uh, with the growing popularity of The Simpsons, it was decided that Dr. Mm Godatu be cut after the first season of The Tracy Ullman Show. So that was the end of that. <laughs> Unfunny Dilbert. Yeah, it was. Animated short. It was kind of along that vein. Yeah. But uh, also notable is that the uh, Klasky Chupo animators handling the Simpsons shorts were Bill Kopp, who went on to work on a number of TV shows, uh, Wes Archer, another accomplished animator who went on to work on The Simpsons and King of the Hill, amongst others, and David Silverman, who went on to be a longtime Simpsons animator and the director of the Simpsons movie as well. So it worked out for these guys as well. And uh, one other piece of trivia, uh, th- these animators, these three guys, 
Also worked on the cartoon Rhino sequences from the John Cusack Demi Moore movie One Crazy Summer. <laughs> set on Cape Cod, which uh, I love that movie. I've never seen that movie. Oh, it's so good. For more on that awesome 80s movie, please check out our episode about it in our archives. We yes. go way in depth. <laughs> Okay, so now that we've covered the background, let's take a look at the world's introduction to The Simpsons in the short entitled Good Night. Now, uh, the, the notes in the noteworthy section for this short from the episode guide, The Simpsons, A Complete Guide to Our Favorite Family, simply says, Our introduction to The Simpson family. Look of family members? Extremely crude. <laughs> That's all we're given here. And the uh, uh, one other note is that the production code is MG01. I'm, I'm assuming Matt Groening 01. So this was the very first one. Wow. Okay, so before we begin, Lily, what did you think <laughs> about the look of this? Well, <laughs> I was immediately uh, intrigued to see that what I know to be The Simpsons spawned from something that looked like this <laughs> it just looks sad they look it's their faces are droopier than normal they're <laughs> not as a brightly colored yellow the color scheme is a little odd mm -hmm. for the short the animation is just like really really awful um <laughs> and apparently that's because when matt graining had submitted uh, his basic sketches to the animators, he assumed that they would do more with them. Yeah. And do, you know, do a little polishing. Yeah, some cleanup. Uh, instead, they just traced over all the basic sketches that he sent them and made an animation out of that. So that's why they look <laughs> the way that they do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's it's crude. It really is. That's a, that's a very accurate description of these early shorts. Now, was this the first time you ever saw any of the uh, the shorts? Yes. I, In fact, I didn't even know that this is where The Simpsons came from. Oh, wow. I was hoping you, you weren't aware of these when we got into this. No. No. Uh, this is a wonderful introduction. Do these get better as they go? Like, does the animation get better? Or is this just um, uh, there, the standard? It, it ebbs and flows. Okay. <laughs> there, there's some good ones. There's some bad ones. Matt Groening himself has some comments that I'll read. <laughs> Great. <laughs> All right, so let's get right into this. We, we begin as Homer Simpson is in Bart's room, tucking him in for bed and saying goodnight. Now, in all of these scenes, the rooms are, are bright pink, and they're all pretty much the same room, except there's something small, something simple to make it distinctive. Like, you'll notice Bart has, like, a green radio on an end table. Uh, Lisa has a framed picture of a heart. Now, Homer and Bart's character designs, as you notice, Lily, they're very much different. Homer has a, a very long and pointed upper lip that kind of, like, droops down. Yes. Uh, Bart has many more hair spikes than the standard nine that we are familiar with today. And, and that was all, like you said, that, you know, Mac Raining submitted these character sketches. As, it's probably just as a rough, like, this is how I want them to look. And now they've just, instead of being cleaned up, completely traced over. So, you'll also notice Homer's voice is very different here. Yeah. <laughs> Except for the laugh. Yes. The, the laugh is the, the same. The goofy laugh is there, but Dan Castellaneta really did a Walter Matthau type impression. It, it's uh, it's somewhere in the middle. Good night, boy. You know, it's just like a weird 
<laughs> interpretation of of a Walter Matthau voice, and that that was Homer's voice early on. It carried over a little bit into the main series, but yeah, it it really like with any show, these characters find their own voices as as they go along. And it's almost like his portrayal here of Homer is a more intelligent than he is now portrayed in the Simpsons series, mm-hmm. where he is receptive to what his son is saying and is understanding and tries to have some sort of conversation instead of saying something ridiculous and unrelated. Like, yeah. I don't, you know. Yeah, yeah, Homer is not uh, a dumb oaf as he is today. You know, he doesn't bumble around or anything. He's just a very stern father. And, and Bart is certainly not the underachiever and proud of it character that we know today. Yeah, these, uh, these are not uh, flushed out yet. No, it's almost like this is something I could picture uh, Lisa saying. Yeah, well, so we should get into it. So, so before Homer turns out the lights, Bart really has this question that's been weighing on his mind. He asks, what is the mind? Is it just a system of impulses or is it something tangible? And Homer replies with what I, is a really witty response. Relax. Is. What is mind? No matter. What is matter? Never mind. And then he goes into that goofy laugh. <laughs> and Bart just gives him an unsatisfied, thanks, Dad. And Homer says goodnight and shuts off the lights. Which, you know, so by the way, this is way beyond Bart's intellect as well. This is just another example of them not being the Simpsons just yet. Yeah, I mean, every show has to come into itself somehow. I wonder what made the the swap. Like, what made the creators decide to enhance Lisa's personality, like, intellectually and dumb down Bart. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that just became organic. You know, the same thing with uh, Homer being dumbed down. and You know, they all just kind of fit into those roles and they just took off with them, I guess. Interesting. Yeah. Now, uh, because it's a cartoon, even though the room is now completely black, we still see Bart's eyes as he lies there in bed. And you can see that he's still wide awake and thinking about this profound question and you notice he blinks and his eyes briefly go a little crazy they start to look in different directions and his right eye has like this reddish colored iris for a second yes i noticed that bizarre very bizarre now here in the original airing the tracy allman show logo would fade into the bottom left corner and then the show would go into a commercial so now we watch the commercials and then when we would come back we open on this next scene with Marge Simpson. And Marge now, she does not have that that tall beehive hairdo that we're used to. It's more of a triangular swept back beehive. Yeah. And did you notice that it waggles from side to side <laughs> just once? As she's, I don't even know what she's doing. I was so focused on the movement of her hair. And then it's completely static for the rest of the. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, you know, these, these animators were finding their own as well. So, yeah, there's, there's some weird motions in here, for sure. So, Marge is tucking Lisa into bed, wishing her a good night as well. And uh, Lisa, another example of being very different from her current look, very porcupine-like <laughs> in terms of her hair. Yeah. Tons of long spikes rather than the eight or nine points that, that are in her character model today. Yeah. And uh, I believe Marge says something along the lines of don't let the bed bugs bite, to which (laughs) 
Lisa's freaked out. And I mean, you know, that's so, that's scary. I don't want bugs crawling in my bed and biting me in my sleep. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? Just sit. how do how how do you not let bed bugs bite you? <laughs> of all the times that's been said to children, has anyone ever actually explained preventative bed bug measures? No, no, <laughs> it's true. It, it's so funny because you know they're going back and forth. Lisa says good night. Marge says sweet dreams, and now Lisa begins to close her eyes and she's yawning. You know, like oh, thanks, mom. Sleep tight. I will, mom. And then when she casually mentions bed bugs, that's when Lisa's eyes are like wide open. <laughs> now she's awake. That, that, that all has to do with beds made of hay suspended on ropes. You know, you sleep tight. You make sure that those ropes are tight. You don't let the bed bugs bite, you know, or you hope they don't because your bed is made out of hay and there are <laughs> bed bugs in there. That's horrible. Yeah. Thank God. It's the year... 2016. <laughs> yeah, we don't literally hit the hay anymore, which is nice. No. But somehow we still use that uh, idiom. Yeah. So we cut to Lisa in bed. Her eyes are wide open. As the lights go out, we once again see just her eyes. And they change shape to a worried expression. And she just says to herself here, like, bed bugs? <laughs> so When I was a kid, I didn't even know what bed bugs looked like uh so when someone would say don't let the bed bugs bite my brain and imagination mm -hmm. would just like take off with <laughs> the image of these like sinister two foot tall bugs that were gonna gnaw my feet off <laughs> they aren't cute other than scale you weren't that far off <laughs> i guess that's true <laughs> <laughs> they're not that they're not that nice they are pretty nasty so from here, we next cut to Marge in Maggie's room. She's standing over her crib, tucking her in. And as Maggie lays there wide awake, sucking on her pacifier, Marge begins to sing the lullaby, Rockabye Baby. This is a very creepy, creepy scene. <laughs> oh, God. I, I always find acapella music really unsettling. Mm-hmm. Unless it's like a choir or something. But if it's just one person singing a song acapella, it's... Very unnerving to me. I don't know why. Maybe I've just watched too many horror movies. I think so. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's kind of a trope now of horror movies is the one person singing something that used to be sweet and innocent and now is like, Rock-a-bye, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the lyric, I don't blame Maggie for being traumatized by <laughs> this song. Who wants to fall out of a tree? Yeah, that's the lyrics are, are pretty... Well, I mean, they're interpreted by Maggie's imagination pretty accurately. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's the exact representation of the song. Who came up with the lyrics for this song? Uh, they must have hated babies. It dates back at least to the 1700s. Uh, it, it is written by the lady known as Mother Goose. Uh, the first example of it, I believe, was printed in London. It, it was thought to be the first American uh, written uh, poem or lullaby. Uh, but there, there is evidence of it uh, in London. But yeah, it, it goes back to the original Mother Goose. And, you know, back to days when maybe that was uh, a nice thing. It, it was thought that, you know, the rockabye baby in the treetop, that was supposed to be the mother rocking the baby. And when the baby falls, cradle and all, it's when the mother lowers the baby asleep into the bed. Oh, okay. But still. Yeah. <laughs> it, so 
here we zoom in on Maggie. We see her imagination as she's hearing these lyrics. She imagines herself literally rocking in a cradle atop a tall tree branch. And as the wind picks up, just like the lyrics say, the bow breaks, the cradle falls. And we see Maggie going back and forth in free fall with her mouth open in horror. And her pacifier is also falling nearby, also free falling. <laughs> and when oh, uh, when we get the lyrics and down will come baby cradle and all, we see the frightened Maggie just fly towards the camera. A really good animation for the first short. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Considering it, really, it's not bad. So uh, from here, we zoom back from Maggie's eyes. You know, we're back to reality, and she's lying there in the crib. She's furiously sucking on the pacifier out of fear. And every so often, her eyes begin to half-close, but then they quickly open. She's, like, now keeping herself awake. Just in case that cradle falls off a tree <laughs> that appears in her bedroom. <laughs> uh, now, we talked about how, you know, Bart got dumbed down over time, Homer got dumbed down over time. This is an example of Maggie being way intelligent beyond her age. Uh, as she's able to interpret the lyrics, you know, understand what, what Marge is saying, and uh, enough that she would be afraid of them. And that that's carried over where, you know, once in a while she you'd notice she would make E equals MC squared out of the blocks, you know, and none of the family would notice. So, you know, there, that, that actually did carry over. So from here, Marge says, sweet dreams and shuts off the lights. And now seeing just Maggie's eyes in the darkness, they, they bulge out, then they wobble and contort. It's really, really weird. And she's <laughs> left to lie there in the dark and, you know, presumably thinking about this scary story just sung to her. I don't blame Maggie, and I don't blame Lisa. Bart, I don't... Yeah, Bart, Bart's <laughs> thing is weird. Yeah. Why is that something... How old is Bart? Bart is 10, supposedly. Okay. So, my little brother is also 10. Never once in his life has he ever thought about the meaning of anything. <laughs> <laughs> It's an odd thing for a 10-year-old cartoon character to be kept up by. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing to be afraid of and certainly way out of character for Bart in general. Right, yeah. So from here we cut to Homer and Marge in their bedroom. They're under the blankets and Homer remarks, we may be the best parents in the world. <laughs> so they say goodnight to each other and kiss. Just then, all three kids run in, waving their hands around and, and Bart and Lisa are frantically voicing their fears and concerns. We cut to a rare face-forward shot of Homer and Marge. They they don't do this often. It's usually a, a three-quarters drawing, you know. But uh, we see them from the foot of the bed, Homer and Marge sitting up. They're staring blankly at the children. And Marge kind of yawns, rolls her eyes, and she's like, All right, climb in. <laughs> and the blankets fly around. Bart, Lisa, and Maggie, they scramble to get into the bed. And they finally settle with their heads poking out. And now we see all five Simpsons kind of sitting up in bed in a row. And then Homer's like, there's nothing to worry about. Everyone go to sleep. Good night. <laughs> and so the lights go out. And again, we see all five sets of eyes just kind of staring straight ahead in the dark. And eventually they all close, ending with Maggie. And there's something unique about this. Yes, because is this the only time in the history of uh, The Simpsons where Maggie has a voice line? No. So, this, uh, it's really not Maggie's first word, because she doesn't really say goodnight. She kind of does like a baby talk version of goodnight. Ah, uh, yes. It was kind of incoherent, and I don't think these shorts are canon anyway to the original series. 
Yeah, that's true. So, fans will know that Maggie's first word was actually voiced by Elizabeth Taylor later on in the series. But, the thing about that scene is none of the other Simpsons were around. And nobody heard it. (laughs) So, as far as the Simpson family was concerned, Maggie has yet to talk. (laughs) But that, that is the the one time in the series in which Maggie has spoken. Now, during the Simpsons movie, at the end, let's call it the during credits sequence of the movie. You know, the, the, the Simpson family gets up in front of the, uh, the chairs of the theater as the credits roll. And Maggie says her first word, according to Marge, and the word is sequel? Oh, yes. I did see the Simpsons movie. Yeah. So, she says it there, but again, they're referencing their own movie. This isn't quite canon either. So, as it stands, really, Maggie's first and only word is uh, daddy, being said by Elizabeth Taylor. But, yeah, it, it was it was odd. I, I forgot about that, that Maggie actually does try to say something in the very first time we see her. Where the joke has been how she doesn't talk, you know, for years. Yeah, 29? Uh, Yeah, 29. Yeah, including the shorts, yeah. <laughs> Stuck in infancy for 29 years. I know, crazy. (laughs) We do see her older in some of the episodes that flash forward to the future. We see her as a rebellious teenager and, you know, a couple of different scenes like that. So, you know. But yeah, as far as the the main continuity of the show, they're all kind of stuck in their ages. Which is very funny because they've had to rewrite Marge and Homer's story, you know, about meeting each other. There's, There's one where they're, you know, in the 70s, falling in love in school, and then... There's one of them in the 90s where Homer is a grunge rocker. I hate that episode. You hate that? Oh, it's it's the worst. <laughs> is it because you're not a fan of grunge music? No, no. It's just I. The, the that Simpsons episode where Homer and Marge first meet, that's a great episode. It's kind of a classic. And to say, well, now they're older or, you know, now we're a couple of years into the future, we should probably update their origin story of them meeting as a couple. It's like, no, you don't need to do that. You know, we all get the idea that Homer's stuck at his age, Bart's stuck at his age, you know, that's fine. Yeah, I I get what you mean. It's hard to just like rewrite history after you've written it. Yeah, of course, who knew the show was going to last almost three decades, you know? That's true. (laughs) Now, the shorts that we've been talking about in this episode are rarely seen. In fact, they never have been released officially as a whole. There's never been, like, a a Tracy Ullman short box set or anything. Uh, Matt Groening seems to have some embarrassment about the the crudeness of the the show, the unrefined look of these shorts. And it it almost reminds me of George Lucas with the Star Wars Holiday Special. (laughs) Yes, how he wanted every copy destroyed. Yes. Yeah, he didn't feel that strongly about, you know, these shorts because the short Goodnight, the one we talked about, it was one of the few to get an official release. It was actually included in the Simpsons Season 1 box set as a special feature. Uh, but most notably, uh, if the story of this sounds familiar to any of you listeners, it's because it was re-aired in the great Simpsons episode entitled The Simpsons 138th Episode Spectacular. And uh, th- that episode is hilarious. It's Troy McClure, which was uh, Phil Hartman's great character, uh, on the what we call the Simpsons set. You know, it's like a, it's the Simpsons house made to look like a soundstage. And it's supposed to be like this clip episode where he's showing like uh, alternate takes of the Who Shot Mr. Burns episode. Or he's showing some of the uh, original shorts. And it's very, very funny. Very well done. 
And that's awesome. Yeah. So Good Night is actually shown in its entirety here. And I went back and listened to the commentary for the episode. And when this short airs, Matt Groening makes the following notes. Uh, he, first of all, he sarcastically says he's very disappointed that the show doesn't look like this anymore. <laughs> he also noted that he didn't quite finish the background on the Lisa and Marge scene. So if you look, the walls just kind of go straight down in the bottom right corner. There's like no floor. <laughs> He said that he needed to put something in the picture frame on Lisa's wall, so he just drew a heart. He also makes makes a point of mentioning that all of the crazy eye movements in the dark that we see, like Bart's weird red eye and the eyes going crossed and bulging out, those were not his idea. Those were all thrown in by the animators. They all came up with those gags. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> And uh, he says that the gag of Maggie's interpretation of the Rockabye lyrics, that was one of his favorite gags of the early shorts. It's a great idea, and it animated well comparatively. Yeah. Now, someone else that was there for the commentary recording asked him about the possibility of releasing a DVD of just the Simpsons shorts. And uh, Matt Groening first laughs, saying, they're not all this good. Uh, he then further says... I feel a little self-conscious about these because they're so crude. He doesn't have that same hate, necessarily, that George Lucas does for his embarrassing holiday special, because he did allow, you know, some of them to be released. In fact, that 138th episode, Spectacular, has animation from five shorts in it. The, uh, the Goodnight one we talked about in its entirety. There's clips from The Perfect Crime, where Bart steals cookies. A Space Patrol, where Bart gets a jug on his head. World War Three, where Homer scares Bart in the middle of the night, and Bath Time, where Bart has to take a bath. Uh, those were those were actually handpicked by either Matt Groening or David Silverman uh, to be used in that show. So they kind of went through and said, "Yeah, this is actually pretty decent animation," but there's some others that are really rough looking. But Matt Groening makes a point of saying that this is the very first one, and it was an interesting experiment that kind of worked. Kind of worked. <laughs> Is wildly successful. Yeah. Now, we didn't see any more of these shorts officially for a very long time uh, until the 400th episode entitled You Can't Always Say What You Want. And for that episode, the entire opening sequence was replaced with the family portrait short where the Simpsons are, like, struggling to get all of the family members in for a family portrait. So that was, that was a nice, uh, you know, sweet introduction of the episode. A nice callback to... The humble beginnings of, of what's a great show. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk about where they've gone from there. Uh, you know, of course we all know. But in later seasons, The Simpsons expanded just beyond bumpers on The Tracy Ullman Show to entire segments of The Tracy Ullman Show. And the character models were cleaned up much better than this first short. Uh, the animation started to get better, you know, as will come with any cartoon, as the animators get used to it. And by season four of the Tracy Ullman show, they were gone. They were now on their own show on the Fox network, making their debut on December 17th, 1989. So what happened to the Tracy Ullman show? Uh, season four was it for the Tracy Ullman show. Gotcha. Yeah. It did get syndicated. I think I remember seeing it on uh, Comedy Central, maybe in the mid nineties. That was probably everybody's last chance of seeing those shorts on television again. But that's pretty much been about it. I believe Tracy Ullman even tried to sue, <laughs> reportedly, uh, because, you know, she felt as though she had a big part in their success, but they, they sided with the network on that one. 
From there, the show has never stopped. It's now the longest-running American sitcom, the longest-running American animated program, and the longest-running American scripted primetime television series. I believe it just beat out Gunsmoke. Oh, man. Yeah, not too long ago. It's won 31 primetime Emmys, 30 Annie Awards for animation, and the Peabody Award. And it had a feature film, as we mentioned, in 2007. And at the time of this recording, it recently finished its 27th season, bringing its number of episodes up to... You want to guess? Oh, God. Okay, so if they're like 23 episodes a season, and there are 20-somethings... It's got to be like 500-something. 596. Okay, I was close. That was good, yeah. <laughs> but can you imagine 596 episodes? That's insanity. Yeah. I can't imagine how much work went into all of that. It's unfathomable. It really is. It's like trying to comprehend the mind. <laughs> so, Lily, what did you think now, watching these shorts for the first time? Well, I enjoyed it. I enjoy uh, whenever I can watch any sort of Simpsons something. And this was particularly interesting because it's like a piece of history. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is entertaining, but it doesn't quite live up to today's standards for in in terms of quality. Yeah. But it uh, was an interesting skit. I liked the idea of the skit, and I liked the situational comedy. It was great. I loved laughing at the crude animation. <laughs> that was my favorite part. Yeah, that, that's that's what's so great about this is just to see, as we mentioned, you know, the the beginnings of this, the humble beginnings of television's. One of television's most beloved franchises, one of the longest running, most enduring, a great show that I love so much, and it's hilarious to see this short, and it's worth watching, not so much for entertainment value, you know, because the, the jokes are, okay, you know, I get it, and it really doesn't make sense now knowing these characters so well as we do now. It's funny to go back and just to view this really as a piece of television history, more so than anything, and just to see where this all started. And it's pretty neat to see, you know, what came of it three decades later. Something really awesome, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> if it's still around. Yeah. All right, well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, your thoughts on Mind and Matter, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, Lily, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, just my Twitter right now. So I'm at LilyPution22. I talk about video game stuff uh, and whatever projects I'm working on. That's pretty much, that's it. <laughs> All right. I'm on Twitter as well. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I am also on Vine. My name there is MC and Friends. And there I do flip page cartoons, little humorous animations. You can follow my stuff there. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. For Android users, we are available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio. And we are now on the Google Play Music app. So check us out on those platforms as well, or if you want to recommend us to someone that doesn't like Apple, we are available there. Well, we have been Lily and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. <laughs>